Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. Well, I am certainly thankful for this week and for all that God is doing in and through our church and, and the people here and the, the great outreaches and the things that is happening. But I want us to focus for the next few moments upon individual thanksgiving, upon how does this week impact me? How does my life speak about this week that we set aside? Really, it's just a day, but a week really as we, as we come into this time of giving thanks unto God for the great nation that we live in, the great freedoms that we have, the, the great faith that we can wrap our arms around, and having a day set aside to just reverence God in those things. I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 17. Before we get there, I just want to set up kind of the passage, but Luke 17 is where we're going to be at today because giving thanks and being thankful seem to be on the surface the same thing. Giving thanks and being thankful are kind of meshed together, but when we dive a little deeper, when we look just a little closer, there are worlds difference in the two concepts. Today, I want us to look at the story from Luke that highlights these differences. But before we do that, I want to set up the story with a powerful thing that Jesus said about faith. Everybody say faith. 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 We walk by faith and not by sight. I want to set this up because in Matthew 17 and 20, Jesus first introduces a principle called mustard seed faith. The principle of just a small granule, a, a size of a mustard seed, Jesus said that this kind of faith can do amazing things. In fact, he says that it can move mountains. But we see this comparison again in the book of Luke chapter 17. And I want to start with a couple verses here. Verse 1, then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through whom the offense does come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. To who? Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times returns to you saying, I repent, then you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to him, Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots, be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you having a servant plowing, tending a sheep? Let me, let me uh, jump on down here. Uh, verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem and he passed through the midst of Samaria, the Galilee, that he entered a certain village and there 10 men who were lepers were standing afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that when they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him what? Thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, we're not 10 cleansed, but there are only nine. Where are the nine? Were not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let me just back up and look at that first part of that. The first four verses talk about offenses. It talks about having 
things that are oughtful in your life, things that, that kind of creep up in your heart and cause you to take a little exception with someone's activities, what they said, what they did. Now, really and, and truly, as you look at this context, that, those first four verses don't have a lot to do with Jesus' teaching on faith. I just thought I would go ahead and include that because it might help somebody at Thanksgiving meal this week. <laughs> but if you look at the concept of thankfulness, it is hard and sometimes we get blocked in our Thanksgiving because of things that have built up that have caused us to be offended, that have caused us to take exception, that have hurt our feelings, things where we think that we got slighted, we, we have an ought against someone for something. And so it is blocking the flow of faith in our life. And Jesus talks about this kind of faith, which is so small, it's almost undetectable. And he calls it mustard seed type faith. And when I read this, I think, gee, thanks, Jesus. I mean, you really make me feel great about my faith because I have never moved a mountain with my faith. I have never had the ability to speak to something so large as a physical mountain and, and put it in a sea or a mulberry bush and to pluck it out and see it planted in an ocean. And Jesus said that if you have faith as a mustard seed, that's what kind of things that you can do. And so I look at this text and I think, well, I'm disqualified. I don't have even mustard seed faith apparently because I've never done that thing. I've never been in that kind of a, a, a situation where I've been able to have that kind of faith. But that's really not the concept Jesus is, is reaching out here. What he's trying to show us is that with small things, with little things, God can do great things. And it seems odd to place this account right here in the midst of this story that Jesus told, as the disciples are saying, increase our faith, Jesus is talking about little mustard seed faith, and then he launches into this story about healing 10 lepers. Why all this convolution? Why not just go ahead and, and get to the, uh, the point of the matter, Jesus, just tell us, just line item it for me, just give me the bottom line. Isn't that what we want from God? Save me all the details, God, just answer my prayer right? That's what we want. But Jesus teaches through demonstration and through illustration. And so many scholars believe that this story about these 10 lepers is in response to the original question, which the disciples said, increase our faith. See, in their minds, they had mustard seed mindset and they thought, well, our faith must not be big enough yet then in order to do great things for God. And most of us at some time in our life have been in the place where we have asked God, give me more faith, increase my faith. Or we, we will compare ourselves with someone it seems as though they have great faith. They're doing wonderful things for God. Or we'll compare ourselves with someone who has something that we admire in life. And if only we could attain to that level, if only we could be more like them, then we would finally arrive. We would have the peace, the happiness, the joy. We would have our best life right now. And what Jesus is trying to illustrate is answering this question by the disciples as they asked, increase our faith. And what he's going to punctuate is, you really don't need an increase of faith. You really just need to operate in what you've already been given. Amen. The little bit that you have may seem insignificant to you, but it's way more than others may have. And if we're going to compare ourselves to anyone, instead of always looking up the rungs of the ladder, 
How about this Thanksgiving year? How about this time of year? We might just take a look down and realize, oh, there's an entire world of people who aren't even as high up on the rung as I am. There's an entire globe of 8 billion, approaching 9 billion people on the earth. And many of them are not going to have enough food for this week, much less the kinds of meals that you and I are going to sit down to one day of this week. That's not to make us feel guilty. We should be, be thankful and grateful and, and, and just take in the blessings that God has given us. But we should also look around and realize not everyone is this fortunate. Not everyone has the kind of abilities and the kind of opportunities that we have. But the little that we have can do great things. So in this account, we see mustard seed faith, the disciples wanting more faith, we can place ourselves there, but then Jesus launching in to this story about 10 lepers. Let's dive into this a little bit more. There is some significance to the story of these 10 lepers, particularly one out of the 10. But let's look at all 10 first. Notice here in this story, Jesus doesn't even get close to these lepers. Ceremonially, the laws of that day would have prevented anyone who had leprosy because it was contagious from intermingling with people who didn't have leprosy. Specifically, someone like Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher, a holy man, was not allowed to be close to someone who was considered unclean. They had a disease. They had something contagious. They weren't allowed to be close to Jesus. So they stood afar off away from Jesus, and Jesus, according to the story, didn't even get close to them. So this wasn't a matter of him spitting in the mud, wiping it in their eyes. It wasn't a matter of him touching them, anointing them, raising them up. It wasn't anything. We see all that in the ministry of Jesus. And here's what we need to deduct from this. There is not one singular method for the will and the work of God to get done in your life. Just because you saw someone else do it a certain way doesn't mean God has to work in that same method, in that same mode. The methods need to be flexible but the message is always unchanging. Amen. This book, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. That never changes. We have that established. But the methods, we see Jesus didn't even get close to these lepers. He was observant of the law. He was ceremonially doing the right thing. They stood afar off from him. And notice the words they said, these lepers did not even ask to be healed. We think that we have to formulate the right prayers. And we heard someone who's a great prayer person and we think, oh, if I can just pray like them. And maybe the reason I'm not getting my prayers answered is because I didn't pray it the right way. Maybe I need to learn the right formula of praying. Jesus' disciples did the same thing too. They went out and they thought, well, if I position my hands like Jesus, if I spit in the mud, if I do all these kinds of things, no, Jesus didn't, wasn't about any of that. And we, we think that if we pray the right way, then we can somehow manipulate the mind of God and the, the will of God gets done in our lives. And it's not about praying the right prayers. We oftentimes will say something, especially in church settings, like uh, all you need to do is to pray the sinner's prayer and then you'll be saved. Can you show me the sinner's prayer? Can you, can you, find, can you find it for me? There's not a sinner's prayer. 
There are lots of prayers in here. Now, I have a formula of a sinner's prayer that I like to go through. It kind of helps me to, to walk someone through that. But listen, there is not a label in here that says, now Jesus said the sinner's prayer to them and they got saved. But there are many people who have just simply come to Jesus and said, help me, Lord, a sinner. Save me, God. Help me. Maybe it's a breath prayer. Help, Lord. That's just a breath prayer. God knows through all the clutter of our lives exactly what we need. And even when we don't know what to pray as we ought to pray, the Spirit himself with groanings that cannot be uttered will make intercession for us and he will approach the throne of God on our behalf. That's what we have in Jesus, a mediator, a go-between, someone who can stand before the throne of God in our place because he hung on the cross in our place and he, he rose on that third day. He died for us and rose again. So we have the confidence we can approach the throne of God with boldness to obtain mercy and help in our time of need, even if we don't know how to pray right. It's been said, God knows the heart, but he likes to hear it from your voice as well. So these lepers dare not even ask for what they needed the most, which was healing. Here's what they did, is they said simply, have mercy have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. And even still today, Jesus is seeking and searching and looking for the one who is far off and away. Jesus knows the penitent in heart. Jesus knows the wounded and crushed in spirit. And the scriptures tell us that he will in no way withdraw himself from such that is in that state, but he draws near to the one who is crushed in spirit. Jesus didn't touch them. Jesus didn't lay his hands on them. He simply gave them two commands, and you gotta get this. Go and show yourself to the priest. Where was the priest? The priests were in Jerusalem. They were in the temple. They were in the holy tabernacle of the Lord. And according to Leviticus 14, it was commanded by Moses that if you received a healing, you would go and certify that healing by showing yourself to the priest. Again, Jesus, being an observant Jew of his day, would not get close to those lepers. They, they didn't get close to him. There were other times he would go right through the, the social norms. But in this case, he didn't even get close to them. And what he did was he told them, go and show yourself to the priest to certify that the healing has been done by God. In other words, by showing yourself to the priest, you're giving thanks unto God. You get that? I'm going to go show myself to the priest. I've been healed. I'm giving thanks unto God. Now, let me ask you, why would that be so hard? What would be tough about that? Just to go and show yourself to the priest? Well, for nine of those guys, that was easy. They could easily do that. No problem at all. They could go and they could show themselves to the priest. How do we know? Because according to the text, nine of them were Jewish, but one of them was a Samaritan. Now, what we see as the text evolves is that nine of them went off happily rejoicing to go show themselves to the priest, but one of them as he went, he lagged just a little bit because there was something turning over in his mind. He was thinking through the process that was so easy for everyone else to do, but so difficult for him to do because he was a Samaritan. 
We've talked in the last several weeks about the Samaritans, and they were, they were kind of the outcasts. They were the people on the fringes. They didn't have the right uh, social and political identity to identify with the people and the things of God in that day. They were really looked at as second-class citizens. The first-century historian Josephus he writes that there was actually a declaration on the post getting into the temple court, going to the, 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 the high priest in Jerusalem, that spelled out those who were welcome and those who were unwelcome in the house of God. Can you imagine? A written list of rules, a written list of do's and don'ts on the door before you could even come in. Certain people were allowed in, others were prohibited, and they were kept out. And for this man, a Samaritan was listed on there that if any Samaritan would get close to this place, here's, here's basically what the signage said, any foreigner who goes beyond this wall will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. In other words, unless you are of us, like us, in our camp, among our tribe, believed like we do, vote like we do, Worship where we do, eat where we do, dress like us, talk like us, you're not welcome here. But if you conform, if you have all of the right outer appearances and the inward heart beliefs, then you can come into the temple. Now, the Samaritan knew that something had already activated in his life. He had gone and there was a healing that was already activating and he wanted to show himself, he wanted to do this other thing that the other nine were doing. But for some reason, unbeknownst to the nine, he couldn't go because he knew that it would certainly mean his death. And the religious world of that day had an elaborate system to keep out those people. But now we don't do that in America in 2022, do we? We don't keep out those people. Well, after all, we're Christian. We, we love everybody, right? We accept everybody right? Wrong. We still have lists of do's and don'ts. We still have prejudices and things that are in our mind, blockades that, that, well, those people, I don't know about those people. Have you talked to those people? Boy, do you, did you see what they posted on social media? Those people. We have all of these lists of do's and don'ts. Now, they're not on a, a, a banner on the sign on the wall, but we have them lodged in our heart. And what we need to do is allow the Holy Spirit of God to purge our prejudices, to realize that the way we think is not the only way there is to think when it comes to peripheral issues. Now, when it comes to the cross, the resurrection, when it comes to the ascension, when it comes to the second coming, there's only certain ways that we can agree on those things, but those are basics. We have to keep broadly what else on the fringes of our theological persuasions happen because if not, what we'll end up doing is we'll exclude those people because they have different preferences than we have. So what was so hard about doing this, showing? Well, for the nine, it was not hard at all, but for the Samaritan, this would have meant certain death. And maybe you're facing something in your life that seems impossible, that seems unsurmountable, it seems as though the deck is stacked against you. And if you did what it seems like everyone else easily can do, it wouldn't turn out so well for you. But notice the twofold command of Jesus here. Go and show. 
go on your way and show yourself to the priest. Now, the Samaritan, he had mustard seed faith. He had enough faith to do the part he could do. Notice here, as all 10 went, the Bible says they were healed. To certify the healing, they had to go and show themselves to the priest. Look at verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, this is the Samaritan, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on, on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, all 10 of you got cleansed. Every one of you were healed. Where are the others that should be thankful, that should be offering a thanksgiving unto the one who did such a great feat for them? Where are they? But one came back and gave thanks. Verse 18, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. Jesus is actually using kind of a, a little wordplay here. He's, he's a little perplexed. Why are not the ones who are closer to the things of God, the covenant of Israel, why are not they just as grateful and thankful for what God has done in their life that they could come back and be a thankful people? But that's not what happened. They went on to the temple rejoicing. And he said to him, watch this. He said to this foreigner, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Wow. Let's dissect this a minute. Jesus gave two commands, go and show. They all went, and as they went, the miracle activated without hands being laid upon them, without Jesus saying a special prayer over them. It was simply go. All of them went, they were all healed. And then the show part, nine of them could easily do that. One could not. The one who couldn't show, because Jesus said, go and present yourself to the priest. Watch this. The nine had the revelation that the priests were in the temple. There was an appointed and accounted for, a voted upon high priest that the people could all collaborate on and say, yeah, we're going to cast our ballot for Caiaphas. He's going to be the high priest. We like him. He did political favors for us in the past. We know his family. We understand his heritage. We're going to vote for him. All the people were in agreement and they had their high priest. And when a high priest would die, another one would arise. And so Jesus said, why don't you go and now show yourself to the priest. So the nine in their revelation went to the temple to present themselves to the priest. The one realizing I can go, but for me to show myself to that high priest would be certain death. He had a new revelation, a new mindset. He returned to the very one who healed him. He knelt down and it says specifically, this guy knelt down on his knees. He put his face to the ground at the feet of Jesus, the high priest. And he had a new revelation because now the temple of man and God had dwelt in Jesus. Jesus is that new temple. Jesus was the one that this guy said, wow, I can 
can do like the nine, but the nine are in an earthly revelation. I have a heavenly revelation. And he came back to the high priest. He presented himself before Jesus. And now what Jesus said was, go your way. Never made him do as the nine ended up doing. We never see where this guy went to the temple, the physical structure in Jerusalem to present himself to the man appointed high priest, because as he did what he could do in his mustard seed faith, I know I can't show, but I can go. When he went, he was healed and he returned back to be a thankful person, not just to give thanks. And it says he gave thanks, but he went on being thankful, operating in the new revelation that God gave him of grace and mercy. The truth was he was a leper. He received an instruction. And when we operate in grace and truth, Jesus was full of grace and truth. We can't discount either one of them. Don't think that you just have to be greasy gracie to somebody because of their circumstance, their life choices, and all you have to do is just tell them all that they want to hear because if you don't tell them all they want to hear, they're going to reject you and they'll never know. They need to hear the truth as well, but you must speak the truth in love. And Jesus being full of both grace and truth, it's not like he was 50-50, 50% grace, 50% truth. Jesus was 100% of both. He never pulled any punches. He never compromised the facts. He never compromised the truth. Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. And he never compromised that. But we sometimes want to water it down. We don't want to offend. Listen, as long as you operate in the spirit of Christ, as long as you operate in grace and truth and speak that truth in love, you're not going to offend. They may not like what you have to say, but they'll have to respect the words that you speak because they know the heart and the spirit of it is true. It is right. It has veracity. It's built upon more than just your opinion. My opinion, your opinion, so what? God's opinion, that's what matters. And this guy, the Samaritan, he went back and returned to Jesus, knowing and realizing that he had been made whole. It says that he glorified God, he gave thanks, but I want you to see more than just giving of thanks, more than just lip service of saying, oh, thank you. He became a thankful person. He was being thankful. Having given thanks, now he's being thankful. And here's the test where the rubber meets the road for us. After Thanksgiving meal, after this Thursday, do we stop being thankful since we've given thanks? Or is Thanksgiving a 365 kind of lifestyle for those who have been born again, those who have been blood-bought? We have an experience with God that we have a life of Thanksgiving, not a meal that we sit down to. When you have been forgiven such a great debt, do you think that this Samaritan ever forgot about the mercy that was extended? Do you think that all his life long, he ever stopped telling of the day when he was gathered around with nine other Jewish converts, nine other Jewish men, and he was the 10th and he was the odd man out, even though they all had leprosy, those other nine with leprosy were just a little bit higher on the socioeconomic staff than, they, than he was. And the day that he received the same kind of grace and mercy, but even more so than those companions of his, do you think he ever stopped talking about that? I think that all of his life long, this was his testimony. 
This was what he lived with. This is how he exuded his confidence in God is that he was extended such a great gift. He could, he could no more than just give thanks. He had to now be thankful. And when God has done such a great work in your life, it's not good enough just to simply give lip service, but now we become people, human beings of thankfulness. Giving thanks is something that we do, but we are not human doings. We are human beings. And so for all of us, we need to adjust our mindset to be thankful. In all things, we give thanks. Not for all things, because some things we encounter are painful. They're hard. They're difficult. They're painful. But in all things, we give thanks. And when we give thanks, we take it one step further to being faithful. You see, you don't need more or even greater faith. You need to hear the words of Jesus today, go and show. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you have faith, even as small as but a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds known in their day, it could grow a tree that was 12 feet tall when planted and properly nourished. He said, if you have that kind of faith, then you have enough to activate something great. Operate in the revelation that you have. Do the best with what you have and God will do the rest. Go and show. Maybe today you just need to go. God will work out the show later on, but you need to go. Do the thing you can do today for today. So if there's a problem that you're facing, stop dwelling on what you don't have. Focus on anything that you do have. What can you do? There's a lot you can't do but what can you do and do that part? See, these men didn't let the leprosy stop them. And this Samaritan didn't give up just because he was kept behind locked doors. He went, gave thanks and became a thankful person. So what's just one thing that you can do? What's just one thing? Well, you can send that note. You can say that, I'm sorry. You can forgive that debt. You can overlook that insult. You can take off that fetter of guilt. You can set aside that offense. You can go in the thankfulness of God, recognizing that regardless of what has happened to you, anything that anyone else has done or said, any other life encounter, that before God, you were just as leprous as those 10. You and I had a sin debt so great we could never pay. But Jesus, but Jesus, he says to us today, go and show. Show what? Show thankful, show gratefulness, show you're appreciative of his great gift. Do the thing you can do and God will do the rest. God will do what you can't do. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the ability to rise up and to say, it has been good 
that my soul was afflicted. For if I had not been afflicted, then I would not know the mercy. I would not know the grace. I would not know the love of a savior. Everybody stand with us today. We're gonna sing this song. Brother Scott's gonna come and close us. But I wonder today how many with a heart prepared to give God thanks. We just pray this prayer with me. Lord, today, help me be thankful. Lord, today, I want to be thankful. Not just give thanks. I want to be a thankful person.